I guess I would just still categorize CCW music in the secular genre. I don't think it's worship music. You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Worship Review. Now, you're used to, of course, only the highest quality from this podcast in terms of the sound, obviously not in terms of the content. If you've listened to even a few episodes, you know that this is a terrible podcast. But our audio recently has matched the quality of our content in that Tyler and I have both been traveling. Tyler's been in a variety of European countries, and I have as well. And so our laptop mics have been used instead of the high-fidelity mics that we normally use. That's going to change soon, but for this interview, I'm afraid the quality still is not that great, but we nevertheless think the content is at least satisfactory. So please enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to The Worship Review, the podcast which critically but charitably examines the texts of songs that are sung in music. And in this fifth series, we are taking on a number of guests. And uh, we have had pastors, we have had worship leaders, we have had film enthusiasts in this fifth series. But today, we are joined, I and Colin, we are joined by the one and only Carrie Baldwin. Hello. Hi, Tyler. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Good. I'm pretty good. Glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you here. Can you tell us and tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, Carrie? Yeah, so I am an independent researcher and podcaster. Um, I have a degree in philosophy and my own website is called mereliberty.com. I am also the co-author of a book with um, my colleagues at the Libertarian Christian Institute. The name of that book is Faith Seeking Freedom, Libertarian Christian Answers to Tough Questions. And um, yeah, my my goal with my own work on my my website, Mirror Liberty, is to challenge and rethink prevailing paradigms in politics, religion, and culture. So all of the things that we don't talk about in polite society, I talk about them. <laughs> um, and actually, my um, my research is uh, at th- at this point especially is primarily focused on a libertarian theory of abortion. Um, it is a pro life view, uh, but it's it's distinct from what I call the conventional pro-life perspective. So um, I've had some, some critiques, some constructive criticisms of the, the pro-life, the conventional pro-life um, movement. I've also done some constructive criticism of the Christian feminist view on abortion. Um, so at any rate, I'm probably most well-known, if, if people know me, I'm most well-known for a debate that I had in uh, December 2019 with a PhD economist by the name of Walter Block um, over the very question of what a libertarian position on abortion is. And uh, though he doesn't consider himself technically pro-choice, um, that's sort of a philosophical technicality, if you will. Um, we we debated over uh, essentially whether a fetus has uh, has rights that must be recognized or or if you can abort basically pre-viability was, was the essence of that debate. So yeah, that's what I do. And I do, um, I have done some work on um, sort of the complementarian egalitarian debate, uh, which is very controversial these days. Um, I do 
I guess for the sake of your listeners, I do hold to uh, qualified male only ordination. Um, but I'm also pretty critical of, of both the complementarians and the egalitarians on, on a number of things. Okay. So pretty, pretty tame stuff. I'm sure you haven't made anybody <laughs> upset or anything. No, never. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, you know, it's very philosophically minded. Um, I, this is a lot of libertarian philosophy, but my philosophy is also informed by re- reformational philosophy. Um, I don't know how much you guys are familiar with that, but it's the neo-Calvinist sort of camp. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, Herman Doivert, Ab- Abraham Kuyper, that sort of thing. And I really like that um, philosophical framework because it's non-reductionist, which essentially means that it respects the com- the, the complexity of creation um, and doesn't try to reduce everything down to one or two things, which gets us into trouble. So, um, yeah, it 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 allows room for nuance to breathe, which I think is absolutely necessary in this day and age. Wow. Okay. So there is so much in there that I think we could talk about. You talked about political philosophy, libertarianism. You talked about abortion, uh, your book. And I guess maybe I'll ask a big question and let you pick where you want to take it. But um, you're obviously a Christian first and, and your Christianity really is at the center of everything. Can you explain maybe in one of those areas how how your Christianity informs what you do, either as a philosopher or as an author, um, as a person who has debated, you know, well-published PhD economists. I think Walter Block has got, what, a thousand peer-reviewed pieces or something. So, I mean, how does your Christianity inform the work that you are doing right now as a a kind of Jill of all trades? (laughs) Jill of all trades. I like that. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, Christianity is really what undergirds everything that that we do, whether we're conscious of it or not. And, um, you know, again, reformational philosophy has made room for that and recognizes that, you know, what, what scripture really says, like in Colossians, for example, that all things hold together in Christ. And when we talk about that, all things scripture literally means all things. That's the entire cosmos. Um, and so, you know, what that does is it allows us to actually look at the world and, and creation, which is, you know, in the Presbyterian view, we call that general revelation. Um, and we can, we can see that God has placed all of this stuff there for us to discover things about him. And so they are discoverable. And he created us with, with minds to discover them and, and learn about him through general, general revelation. Um, the religious aspect of that is, you know, informing our interpretations of general revelation through special revelation. So I can, for example, when it comes to the abortion debate, I can be reading through some, you know, peer reviewed studies uh, about embryology, and I don't really have to wonder if this is compatible with Christianity or not, because what I'm observing is what God created. Um, and so I can respect the science and not feel like it's in conflict with, with my religious beliefs. And it's, I would say very exciting to be able to do that. Uh, you know, and I grew up, I grew, I, I was born and raised in New Mexico 
and was homeschooled before it was legal to, to be homeschooled. Um, I distinctly remember the debate around that. It had to do with, um, you know, whether parents really wanted their kids to learn about Darwinian evolution in schools. And so from a very early age, I was taught that science and, and Christianity weren't really compatible. And I've uh, come full circle on that complete 180. I'm not a Darwinist, but um, I don't have to fear science because this is something that God created. So I'd say that's one example of how my my faith um, informs the work that I do. So one thing that you didn't mention in that whole list of things that you do as kind of a, a formal part of your work was Christian music or worship music. Um, to be fair, we don't do that as a formal part of our work, do we, Tyler? We're not, we're, <laughs> we, we do this on the side. You know, frankly, I've never been paid to do it. So even uh, when I was doing it, it I, wasn't even really work. My first worship leading gig, I got a small stipend, but that was mm. it. It, it, it bought me a few coffees a month, that kind of thing. It wasn't much, but, um, okay. So none of, you know, all of us as, as, as unpaid, uh, <laughs> unpaid worship people, um, Carrie, I wanted to ask you about that in particular. So it's not a formal part of what you do, but it sounds like, like you mentioned Presbyterianism, um, you, you've obviously got a long history in the church. It sounds like. Um, I was wondering if you could, and again, maybe there's nothing that, say, libertarianism has to offer about this, um, but w- could you share a little bit about your perspective on, uh, yeah, how you have experienced worship music in the church uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as a Christian, maybe either throughout your life or maybe just right now, and and some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I was um, born and raised in the Lutheran Church, uh, the LCMS, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And um, so, and after I got married, um, I spent some time in non-denominational churches, uh, eventually found myself in the OPC back in, what was it, 2012, um, and stayed there for about six years. Um, I'm currently actually attending... (laughs) And LCMS again, although I'm not a communicant member because I still hold to Westminster, and um, the, the the pastor there has been very uh, gracious in letting me attend as his resident Calvinist, and we have fun fun debates every now and then. Now, just can I interrupt you real quick? Can you tell yeah. our listeners what OPC and LCMS mean? Those are ac- acronyms that some of them won't they won't even know what those mean. Uh, yeah, LCMS stands for Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Um, they are uh, a confessional Lutheran church. So these are uh, conservative in their theology, much like, you know, a lot of the NAPARC Presbyterian denominations like the RP and the PCA, maybe even more confessional, more conservative than the PCA. OPC stands for Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Um, that is a denomination in Nate Park as well. They are also confessional. Um, so at any rate, yeah, those those are what those two mean. Um, but as far as the worship music that I've been exposed to, I mean, I grew up with hymns, right? That's what that's what we sing mostly in the in the Lutheran Church. Um, it was when I was exposed to uh, non-denominational churches that I even discovered uh, what contemporary Christian music was. I didn't even really know it when I was a kid. Um, it, can I just ask, did that, did it shock you or did it, I mean, or did it just seem normal to you? I mean, what what was that like to grow up without that sort of music and then suddenly encounter it? 
Well, honestly, it felt like Christians trying too hard to fit into the culture. (laughs) I was like, what is this? Um, So, I mean, there was a part of me that was like, oh, this is, this is kind of interesting, but it also felt kind of forced and like, you know, trying, trying to blend in too much. I never associated it with worship music until uh, I was in college and noticed the, the Baptist student union had a worship band and, and, you know, they were singing those, those songs. And I was like, Oh, you guys don't do hymns. Like, this is weird. (laughs) That that was weird to me. Um, Do you happen to remember any of the songs that they were singing? Oh my gosh. It's been so long. I don't. It's like the heart of worship or was it? Yeah, that was one of them. Yeah. Um, I'd remember, I would, I would remember them if I heard them, I'd be like, yeah, that's it. Um, but it's been, it's been so long. You know, when I got into the, when I got into the OPC, it was back to hymns, which I, um, I realized how much I missed hymns. Once I got back into the OPC, I was like, no, this is where it's at. Um, and the Presbyterians also introduced me to the Psalter, um, you know, singing, singing Psalms, which I thought was absolute genius. Why didn't anybody think of this before? (laughs) 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 So, um, at any rate, um, and actually since being back in a Lutheran church, uh, one thing that I really like about, uh, the way they do the Psalter is they chant the Psalter and I, I really appreciate the chants as well. I love that. Um, yeah, if I had to, so I've been exposed to all of it, if I had to pick my absolute favorite, it would definitely be, um, the, the Psalter, whether we're singing it or chanting it, um, you know, the, the simple tunes are, are really great. And just singing straight from scripture is, is wonderful. Can I ask a question? You mentioned that coming back to this, um, hymn singing church, uh, struck you in a way and, and you felt really excited to be back singing hymns. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what made you so excited to sing hymns again? <clears throat> no, that's a great question. Um, I think, I think what, what struck me about them was that these, uh, the, I guess I would say it was the, the lyrics, the lyrics are, you know, more along the lines of focusing on, on God and who he is and what he's done. There's theology in that. Whereas with the contemporary Christian music, you have a lot of just repetitive, um, you know, repeating a phrase over and over and over, uh, that's focused maybe more on the individual rather than God and, and worship and what you're there for. Um, I thought that, I mean, both, I would say invoke emotion in me, but for completely different reasons. Um, I feel like probably the contemporary Christian worship music is more, um, almost trying to force an emotional reaction rather than letting the theology really, you know, really speak to, you know, to my own spirit and, and the emotion that comes out of that. It's like two different, almost like two different directions and motivations of, of where, uh, the emotive aspect is coming from. So yeah, I would definitely say that the lyrics played a huge role, just recognizing that, um, you know, the words being spoken in, in hymns were, was, was theology and it was aimed at worshiping God and not just, you know, this (laughs) repetitive thing over and over and over and over again. 
interesting to hear you explain it that way because I've run into a lot of people that had the opposite story that you do in that they maybe started off in an old stodgy conservative denomination. And then when they first encountered contemporary Christian music, they just thought, oh, wow, we can worship mm-hmm. God in this way. We can be more free. We can, uh, you know, the music, we can have electric guitars. I know a lot of, uh, so I spent some time for a while in a Calvary chapel and a lot of those folks um, were were kind of, uh, were maybe hippies that that had grown initially grown up in, yeah, in like very conservative churches. And then when they became Christians, they became Christians in an environment where they started doing like this, the type of music they were listening to in the 60s in churches. And that really, for them, was really mm-hmm. important. But what you're describing is almost the opposite of that. Um, you, you, you ran into contemporary Christian music, found it off-putting for, for, for the reasons that you mentioned. I hope that that's not an incorrect way of saying it or, or an imprecise way of saying what you said. But then when you heard the hymns again, mm-hmm. it was like the words, right? It wasn't the music. It wasn't the emotional-ism. Yeah. It was the words. And I guess, so that makes me wonder about something I should ask you. And that is, well, what about the music? Because I know in the types of churches that you are involved in right now, the LCMS and the OPC, there's very little instrumental mm-hmm. accompaniment. There's some, it might be a piano mm-hmm. or an organ, but there's not much. Do you, I mean, especially compared to the contemporary Christian music that you've heard with the, the sonic, you know, just the massive sonic yeah. picture of guitars and echoes. And especially yeah. now there's a whole style uh, of Christian music that's very ambient. Um, what does the music actually mean much to you when it comes to worshiping God? What role do you think that it plays? Uh, that's a great question because I mean, I, I have, I have definitely seen the gamut. In fact, even as you were describing, uh, describing all of that, I recall back to my high school days, a friend had invited me to the the Baptist church out here. Um, and they had a teen program called X factor. And so it was, uh, you know, they had this like light show and, uh, smoke machines and, you know, the band and and all of that, like creating this whole like concert environment. Um, and the, 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 the music just felt so disconnected from what they said the message was which was we're going to worship God there there. Now at the time I didn't, I couldn't have told you what that disconnect was, but you know, in hindsight uh, there, there was a huge disconnect between the idea of worshiping God and all of this, uh, all of this, this stuff that surrounds it. Um, I'm very much uh, you know, I'm not a no instruments kind of person. I think that having a, you know, a single in- instrument, a, a piano or an organ, or even a guitar, um, is useful in, in helping us, you know, find our, find our voice, find our key. Um, but I'm really attracted to, and I don't know if you guys have, have heard about this, but, um, sacred heart music. Have you guys heard of sacred heart? Uh, it's an American tradition that I think actually goes back to, um, Celtic Ireland and he's very, uh, very simple tunes in order to teach the church how to sing, but sacred harp is a reference to the vocal cords. And, um, I think there's something to be said about Christians 
uh, you know, making a joyful noise with our own voices. And so I really think that when it comes to worship music, the the music is provided by our own voice and whatever instrumentation is used should just facilitate um, the use of our own voices. In Mm. fact, I've uh, I've even, I, I've even lamented the fact that, um, it's not very popular to hear men singing in church anymore. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's unfortunate. I think you hear a lot more women than men singing in church. Um, and you know, so there's, there's been some stigma that, that comes up around, um, our own use of our, you know, vocal cords for, for singing and, you know, God created that and he created us to sing. And so I think that's where, that's where music comes from. Worship music comes from is from our vocal cords, our sacred heart. Mm. You know, as a, as an academic, sometimes when people are giving a talk, I I don't have a question, but I just give (laughs) some bibliography and uh, I want to give you some bibliography. So, um, you may have heard this, but for our listeners, maybe who haven't, if you want to hear some great men singing some some good hymns with a piano accompaniment. Uh, Bob Coughlin led worship at, I think it was a Together for the Gospel conference, and it was really, am I right, Tyler? Is that what I'm, it was released in CD, That's and cool. it's great. Yeah. It's it's kind of funny. I think we've talked yeah. about this. So have, you, have, you heard of the, have you heard this, uh, this CD, or uh, CD, I'm dating myself. Have you heard any of this um, music, Terry? I might have. It's not ringing a. It, it's not ringing a bell. I'd be interested in checking it out. Yeah, it's kind of funny because so you've got Bob Coughlin, who is a he's reformed, but he's Baptist and he's kind of quasi charismatic, mm-hmm. I would say. Uh, so an interesting combination. But he was leading worship, you know, for for together for the gospel, which of course are a lot of different reformed folks, including even OPC people. I think are were a part of that. And so here he is playing the piano and everyone's singing hymns. Um, in, you know, with minimal instrumentation, but then Bob Coughlin can't stop himself from being like, yes, you know, he keeps like interjecting these little charismatic uh, bursts into the, so it's kind of, it's a fascinating thing to listen to because you've got the men singing the hymns, but then you've got this guy occasionally popping in the mic, like, yes, Lord, be thou my vision, you know, and just saying things like that. All the Lutherans and Presbyterians would be like, oh, yeah, oh, freaking out. It, it's functionally, <laughs> it's functionally like a men's chorus, right? I mean, it seems like it's mostly men at this conference. Well, I think it's great. Yeah. When I was in when I was in high school, by this time I was in public school, um, but I did take choir uh, throughout. Mm, let's see, I was in choir for most of middle school and and about half of of high school, and um, you know, I just. I really appreciate the, the, the four part ensemble. I don't see why we can't get back to that, but they're seeing, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe you guys can, can answer it. Why, why men tend to not sing as much or sing as loudly. Maybe that's, maybe that's what it is. Tyler, you want to, I, I think we should try to answer that one. I don't know. What do you think, Tyler? Why is it that, uh, that men are afraid to sing? Are they afraid to sound bad to other people? Are they, uh, have they been convinced 
by one uh, for one reason or another that uh, they are incapable of it or that singing is reserved for women and or men with particularly good voices. I, I, I don't really know yeah. why that would be. I've, I've, I've often wondered if <clears throat> singing has been associated with femininity a little too much and that it's not, it's not feminine or it's not masculine to, yep. to sing. I think you're onto something. And I wonder if we went, for example, I mean, I haven't, despite the fact that I lived in close proximity to Wales for a long time, I wonder if you went to Welsh churches, for example, if you would run into that same problem because mm. you have a much stronger cultural tradition there of men singing and that being mm. totally normal and and even viewed as a masculine trait. So are, yeah, are there cultural hangups maybe? I mean, we're all Americans. Are there cultural hangups in American Christianity? And maybe Canada would be included in this too, or other countries that, yeah, have, have caused for whatever reason that to be labeled as feminine or thought of as feminine. You you, you may be onto something there. Yeah. Mm. It's a difficult question to think about because then you, you, you ask yourself, well, what cultural norms are teaching me mm-hmm. that singing is feminine. And that's actually really hard mm-hmm. to come up with because there are plenty of professional male musicians. I can think of one, um, you know, it, I, again, so uh, historians, so think about time. Um, w- was there a time in which singing became more individualized rather than corporate? I could, men, men sing mm-hmm. in a bar happily. They, they right. will sing bar songs. They will sing in a football stadium. Yeah, yeah. Like there is a there has been in in history you have num- numerous you know examples of examples. masculine singing mm-hmm. together in group. What what I think men may find feminine is the individual man performing um, and singing. You know, being the center of attention. Um, you know, especially in in pop music, rock and roll music, the kind of gesticulations mm-hmm. that can accompany that, and maybe that actually is perceived, and maybe. Yeah, maybe that is part of what might make it appear feminine. I mean, I'm go- I can go back to ancient history for a, a, an example of this. Um, the the Greeks uh, would um, work out and lift weights and go to the gymnasia because uh, they wanted to look uh, a certain way. And the Romans mm-hmm. found this deeply effeminate because what you should train to do is to fight wars. Your, your strength mm. should be for utilitarian purposes. And so mm. even though the Greek men, uh, you know, had well oiled and, and you know, well mus- muscled bodies, um, that was viewed as feminine because it was just purely for looks and spectating. There, there was some homosexuality associated with that, too. Um, sure. But, you know, there could be something to do with that. The type of singing that is prominent in some of our cultures is performative, individualistic, and it's not really about being together as men. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't know. I wonder about that. Yeah, maybe. maybe Sounds it's... like the Romans were just jealous. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe our listeners have some ideas. I would be, I'd be interested if they have any ideas about that. Maybe they do. And in fact, that's a good time to note. Listeners, please uh, send us emails at feedback at the worship review or uh, send us your tweets. Um, so that would and talk to us about yeah. that topic. Yeah. And tell your friends, Colin said singing is effeminate. So uh, find <laughs> no. out what they have to say about that. You're going to get me canceled, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> and evidently, yeah, yeah, tenure doesn't necessarily protect that anymore these days. So uh, be careful. Nope. Nope. Um, so Carrie, you, uh, 
you, you, it doesn't sound like you experienced much contemporary Christian music now, not in the LCMS and you didn't in the mm-hmm. OPC, um, but you probably have heard snippets and bits and pieces and, and bits that you can remember from your time in churches that did do this. I wonder what sorts of things struck you as odd or, or perplexing or maybe problematic. Like, are there particular lyrics you can remember, or particular songs even that you can remember where you just thought, nah, this this probably isn't for me, or maybe not even subjectively, maybe objectively, this isn't quite right. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you think of maybe, I don't know, examples of that, or at least maybe speak generally to that? Um, yeah, I guess my my impression of Christian contemporary worship music, contemporary Christian worship music, is that it it is focused much more on the individual self, which I don't even think is necessarily bad insofar as what music can do generally. Um, you know, we listen to music for all sorts of, of reasons. Um, and the emotional connection is very much one of them. You know, when you're feeling down, you might listen to some, some, you know, more sad music, uh, when you're happy or you need encouragement, you might listen to something that's more encouraging. And I don't think that um, contemporary Christian music is necessarily bad for for that. I just don't think it's worship music. It's not something that we take into to public worship as a way to worship God because it is so focused on on self. Um, I guess that would be number one. But number two, um, when when you have become accustomed to singing hymns and psalms. Um, we're chanting the Psalter. Uh, if you've doing, if you're doing it frequently enough, you're doing that throughout the day, you know, during the week, it's not something that's simply reserved for, for public worship. So it comes to mind when, you know, you do need some encouragement and maybe, maybe a Psalm is better than, you know, some, some secular, you know, secular playlist you have on, on Spotify or whatever. Um, I would, you know, I would, I would, I wouldn't say that Christians should only listen to hymns or, or, you know, Psalms or anything like that. You know, I don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with secular music. I guess I would just still categorize CCW music in the secular genre. I don't think it's worship music. Um, and I mean, quite frankly, I've heard some, some wonderful Christian music artists who have very, what I would say is very good theology in their lyrics, but as soon as they get signed onto a a mainstream record label, their lyrics kind of go to pot Mm -hmm. and it's, it's not the same as, as their, their earlier work. So, um, yeah, I guess, I don't know if that answered your question, but that was some of my impressions anyways. Mm -hmm. Can you think of some examples of artists that that's happened to? I'd be curious to look at their work. Yeah. So, so the two examples would be Lecrae. Um, I think his earlier stuff was much, much better. Um, and Lauren Daigle, um, her earlier stuff even sounded reformed. Um, and then she eventually started producing uh, lyrics that were like, uh, you know, where is this coming from? Like, this doesn't, this doesn't sound Christian. Um, and I can't remember exactly the, 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 you know, the titles of the, the songs that they were, but I, I notice a shift when independent artists, you know, get signed on with, with big record labels that some, something happens and their, their lyrics change, their 
views of theology clearly change. Um, so, yeah. Can I push back on that a little bit? Because um, like you said, their views on theology change. I'm not even convinced of that, really. I think you go from being independent to being dependent on a record label. And as we've said on the show several times, the, this whole industry is in and of itself an enterprise designed to make money and mm-hmm. not necessarily to produce edifying music necessarily. So I, I almost wonder if the artists themselves, they're not even necessarily changing their theology. They're just kind of, they fall into whatever the norms are of the industry that they now find themselves in as no longer independent, but in a real sense, sort of dependent upon the industry for their perpetuation and continued success. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I guess, you know, and a lot of these musicians, when they sign, they're probably in their twenties, you know, so that's pretty young. Um, I don't think. Are you suggesting that the Christian industry likes to employ young, uh, attractive looking people for some reason? No, not at all. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's, I mean, yes, they do love to, um, you know, sign on their, their young, beautiful superstars. Right. Um, But when, when I mentioned youth, you know, when you're in your twenties, unless you've been catechized in the church, you're not, you you don't have a well-developed theology. Um, you do have what you've been exposed to. And I think at least in the case of, of Lauren Daigle, um, the, her earlier work just struck me as being much more theologically sound. I still wouldn't use it for, for worship music, but at least it would, it's something that's, you know, uh, uh, not <laughs> theologically questionable. Let's put it that way. Um, but some of her, her later work, um, you know, that came out, it was like this, this doesn't make sense with, with what you've already put out as far as, you know, being a Christian song. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, that can be very misleading for people who do want to, uh, expose their kids to quote unquote Christian music. They think that they're doing that by, you know, switching on K-Love or whatever. Um, and there's a lot of music that's on there that I, I wouldn't even categorize as Christian. Well, you've already said some things about maybe where you'd like the direction of music to go. And so maybe it's a silly question to ask at this point, but are there any other thoughts that you have about where where you think church music should go? It sounds like maybe not forward, maybe backwards in some <laughs> respect. Maybe backwards isn't the right term, you know, but but maybe, a, a you know, a... a, a, a a quest to find what a, was good a, in the past. You mean a, a reformation in, in worship Yes, music? yeah, <laughs> you could say that, yes. They, they, would, yeah. they should reform, um, yes. Yeah, I, I would love to see um, churches get back into hymns. I mean, the easiest way to do it is go to hymnary.org and you can you can find all of those. It's very easy to access. <laughs> um I really love the idea of, of Psalm singing. That was, that was new to me. We didn't do it in the Lutheran church. Uh, when I was growing up, they do it now, but they chant them. Um, and I do really like the chants, and I kind of wish Presbyterians would, um, would explore the chants a little bit more. Cause I think oh, that cool. chanting seems very Catholic. I know it's so you secret. Papist. So, so Catholic, yeah. but uh, <laughs> as as much criticism as I have for some of the things that Lutherans do, chanting is not one of them. I think I, I, it's it's an art form that I very much appreciate. Yeah. So Reformation and worth, worship music, that's what we need. Well, Carrie, do you, do you have any questions for us? Oh, man. Do I have any questions for you? 
I really don't. Have you guys reviewed any of the, um, uh, oh, I forget her name. I, I forget the wife's name, but Keith Getty. They tend to score very high with us. And, you know, the other thing I was thinking for your information that might be of some trivial interest to you, I we did a whole series on hymns. And Tyler, if I remember, it was a long time ago now, but I, if I remember correctly, Tyler, at least the ones that we did, they weren't always... They, they weren't always as good as they might have seemed sometimes. Occasionally there was a there was a phrase or a word or a, a, a even a whole stanza that might be a little mm. bit a little bit questionable. Mm. I was thinking about this earlier when you were mentioning uh, knowing people who kind of came out of perhaps more conservative or uh, traditional churches that had a really strong hymnody, a hymn singing culture that uh, they would push back against that and want to go for the more modern stuff. But I think there's a similar error in the opposite direction where people say, oh yeah, well, let's go back and we'll sing, you know, I don't know. Oh, I'm going to really upset some people, but like, we're, we're going to sing all fly away or something like that. Right. And uh, you're like, well, uh, just because it's old and uses these mm-hmm. and vows does not make it good theology. So yeah. Yeah. I think well, when we talk about the lyrics of worship music, we're thinking not just about the words themselves, in fact, actually not about those words at all, but the ideas they conjure in our heads. Nostalgia. When we sing them. Um, yeah. So, well, yeah, some of that could be nostalgia in a really pragmatic, you know, sense. But, you know, simply like what's exciting about a really good hymn is not merely the feeling it stirs in you, but it, it's that uh, it's it's coming to new understanding or reaffirming understanding that needed to be dusted off in your mm-hmm. head about God that has always been true, but it may have not, may not have been in the forefront of your mind. Yeah. Until you sang. Yeah. I will say one of my favorite hymns is be thou my vision. Um, but I had completely forgotten with all the verses. Yes. With all the verses, I had completely forgotten about it though, until I heard a contemporary Christian, uh, cover of it. Um, and I forget the name of the band, but the band is from Ireland. Yes, yes. Yes, I know the one you're thinking of. I yes. just find it. And I for- it King's Kaleidoscope? No. I forget the I forget the name. Um but they and they actually do a really good job of it. Like sometimes sometimes I feel like artists like butcher hymns when they try to do covers, but they did a really good job of it. And um so I guess I'm grateful. I'm I'm grateful for them for uh reintroducing me to one of my favorite hymns from my childhood. Carrie, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on worship music and um, for uh, yeah, sharing this time with us. And listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Worship Review. We hope you'll uh, leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast hosting site. Tell your friends about us. Tell your pastors about us. And tell your worship leaders that they need to get it straight and tune into this show. And we hope you'll be with us next week. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.